Well, thank you so much for the privilege of sharing a few words. Um, let me say this, what you see in Jonathan. Do you ever wonder what the life of faith looks like? You ever been curious about that? You know, for years, I would read my Bible as a young man, and I would, I would read things about the Apostle Paul, and I would, I, I would read them as history, because they are historical. And I'd read that he went there, and he did this, and he believed God, and God did miracles. I read about the apostles. I read about the planting of the early churches. But you know, that's, it, it seems so distant and removed, doesn't it? Because it's, it's way back then. It's Bible. I mean, we, and we grow up in church. We, we hear about Samson and all the stories, Noah and the ark. I mean, all these things, if we're not careful, what happens is we begin to relegate them. Well, well the God, the big God, who did, who did big things, uh, he was back there somewhere in the Bible. And yes, it's a, it's a story I should believe in, and I do believe in it. But I mean, he doesn't act that way these days, does he? As a young man, I had those questions. What does it mean to live a life of faith? What would it look like if I, if I were or someone was to radically give themselves unabashedly, like without reserve? Because I'll be honest with you, so often, I mean, I do this today. I do it often. I think maybe you do too, or at least you're tempted to. And that is, I'll put limits on my service to God. And I'll say, well, Lord, I will, I'll do this much. I'll give you this much of my finances. I'll give you this much of my strength. I'll give you this much of my life. But you better come through on your end because aren't I being great? I'm sacrificing so much. What would it look like to live a life where you don't put those governors on your service or on your faith? or on your love for Christ? Is it fair, and I had to ask myself this as well, are we, is it fair to lift up one man and to exemplify him? And Paul gives us that example. He gives us the word of God in Philippians 3.17. I can find it real quickly. Listen to what he says. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And that's why I can feel like the Lord would want to anoint a book like this. We can pray for that anointing and pray for his blessing because that's what we're doing. We're lifting up a life that was not perfect, Costas was not a perfect man, uh, but he was a man who walked according to the example that we saw in the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, when you see men like this, follow them. And so it's been such a privilege for me, knowing the family, knowing my dear friend Jonathan, who has impacted my life so deeply, knowing the family, the McCreese family, who's honestly unlike any other family I've ever met. Uh, who have impacted me so deeply, for the Lord to give me the privilege to impact others by writing a few things down about their life, about Costa's life. Can you imagine how privileged I must feel? I do feel very honored. So let me share just a couple things about Costa's life 
that may whet your appetite for what you might find in the book. As a young man, 1987, so this is now 30, 31 years ago, I was in my 20s, give away my age here. I was in my, I think I was 26, 27, 28. The property that, that uh, we could talk about, you saw a picture of it there where Jonathan talked about a camp property. It's called uh, Porto Astro, and it was bought uh, largely by faith, God-honored God Costa's faith, to buy this property. He wanted a place that was close enough to Athens. It could be a harbor for the Morning Star, which is a schooner that, that the ministry has been given again back in those early days, 1980s, for the purpose of reaching the islands with the gospel. And so Costas was, was determined to find a piece of property, and he and Bruce McAdee, another missionary, young missionary friend, they searched all over the Peloponnesus in the south, and they went north, they looked all over, all over the place, and finally there was this land that they found in a miraculous story. It went away, the people didn't want to sell, it couldn't meet the price, and then the de death of a vision, and finally God opened the door. So here we were then now, in, the, in late 80s, on this piece of land that God had given to the mission, and I can remember, you know, some of those early days on the property, there was nothing there. There was a caretaker family, the Rose family, tremendously gifted to be in that wild area. Uh, and they were just kind of Alaskan pioneer types who were just fit for that. But there was nothing else there. There were no structures built at that point. They were just living in a tent or in a trailer that had been ferried across. And so we were, we were uh, one day, very hot morning, cutting down bushes and making a, the tree line so we could put a fence and, and we're way up above the bay, and it's a beautiful morning. The sun is sparkling over the water, and in the distance you can see the jutting mountain pinks of the, of the island of Evia coming through the misty clouds, and it was hot. And we'd been working already for a couple hours. I was at Costa's side, and several others were around us, and we were beating bush back and bushwhacking and all this, and we decided we would take a break a water break. And so we found the old thermos and our Dixie cups, and we're standing there overlooking this massive, beautiful view. And I, I thought to myself, well, this is an opportunity to kind of peer into Costas's mind. And so I said, Kirio Costa, Mr. Costas, Costas, what do you, because in Greek, that's, you show respect by, by saying that. Kirio Costa, I said, what, what do you see when you look down here? Because there was nothing there. It was turtles and sagebrush, and that's it. But I knew in his mind he had a vision of the plan. I said, Kirio Costa, what do you see when you look at this property? And <laughs> he gets this look on his face, kind of this smile, and this faraway look. And he says, oh, Dan, he goes, I see the morning star. It wasn't there yet. I see the morning star, the ship out there moored safely in this harbor protected from the northerly winds. And he goes, I see a nice dock. You see that place over there? It's flat enough to put a nice dock. And then a little bit left of that, along the ridgeline and the border, you'll see, we'll see a captain's quarters someday for the captain of the Morning Star. And then we'll see some houses built that we can put some, uh, some supplies for the Morning Star in. Over here, we're going to see a soccer field. You see that table land down there? And he's just rattling these things off, just one after one. And he goes, over here, then a little bit farther up beneath our feet, there's going to be a lodge with a bunch of rooms so that people can come. We can hold conferences for Greek people who want to learn more about the Word of God, for churches to experience unity together. Maybe they're separated. They don't speak to each other in Athens, but they come, and they come here, and their kids get to know each other, and they enjoy camping together or this facility together, and it'll bring unity to the body of Christ. And up here, he said, in this cleft of the rock, well, there's a natural amphitheater that we're going to see someday. And he goes, Dan, can you imagine? Can you imagine sitting there with the moon rising over Scorponeria Bay, 
the stars above, and someone teaching the word of God, and we're sitting there together worshiping and, and being together under the teaching of God's word. That moment is significant for me because for the first time in my life, I could see something that wasn't there. I don't know what it was, but somehow Kosas's faith was enough for me to kind of grab hold of the coattails and ride along with him. And I could see it like I'd never seen something in faith before. That was such a fascinating moment for me. I, I'll never forget that. That sums up, that experience sums up so much of what Costas McCreese was like. First of all, in three ways. First of all, it was his tremendous vision. Costas was not a man content with what God had done in the past. He was grateful, but he was not content because he wanted to see God do the same thing in the future. And so he, by the eyes of faith, he wouldn't will it into existence. He didn't make it happen, but he believed that God would give him a vision and then the faith to bring that vision into reality. And so as I watched him exert his faith, I was learning that he, Costas, was a tremendous man of faith. Second of all, I learned that Costas loved to take his faith and to help people see what he could see. And that's what he was doing for me. And the third thing was that he loved to invest himself in young men and young women. All of his life, all of his ministry life, Costas was not content to just do the work himself and then write it down and give it to other people and let them, you know, read about it someday. No. Costas would always grab anyone and everyone who was around, and he would pull them along with him into the work. Friends, that's the, that's the life of faith. What does it look like to live a life of faith? Costas McCreese was a man who lived a life of faith. Do you see Jonathan up here? I know one of the reasons you love Jonathan visiting here at Eltham is because when he talks, don't you sense that same thing in him? You sense that vitality and that energy and that excitement about what God is doing? What is that? That's a life of faith. Now, maybe you say to yourself, but that's for people who are gifted with faith. I don't have the gift of faith. Do you know what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has called you to something greater than just yourself. It may not be planting churches across the world. It may not be landing planes in cannibal valleys. It may not be being a martyr for Christ, but there's something that God has given you to do that requires faith. How do I know that? Because without faith, it's impossible to what? To please God. And so between where you are today and what God has for you, it will never be completed without faith. That bridge will never be complete. I always tell people working with, as I work with new believers, and as a pastor, oftentimes I get a chance to help people answer questions, you know, the questions, the, the hard questions. What about suffering? And what about, is the Bible true? And how can I know for sure that God is good because I see so many things in the world? These are legitimate questions, but I always tell them, you know, that bridge of rational thinking, that bridge of concrete answers will only take you so far because God always leaves room for faith. As you read this book, my friends, I, I, my prayer is this, that you'll be encouraged in your faith, that you'll be encouraged for what God is calling you to do. 
there are so many transferable principles in Kosas's life to what God has called you and me to do. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we don't lift up a man as if he's a saint, but we sure appreciate the example of a man who's lived a life well for you. Father, I feel so honored you've allowed me to dig into the life of our dear brother Costas. And we thank you for Costas and Elke's example to respond to the calling that you gave to them, to respond to the need of those who would never hear about Jesus without people going. And they would raise their hand and they would say, I, we are willing to go at great sacrifice. And yet you would never would have known it was sacrifice because of their joy in the process. Just as the Apostle Paul says, follow the example of those who follow my example. We long to be ones who would imitate those of faith so that someday, Lord Jesus, we might be those who live a life of faith that others might also follow. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in Greece, and we thank you for what you're doing at Eltham. And Lord, we thank you for the life of faith of every believer in this room and for what you are calling each individual to believe you for. May you prosper them in every way. May you be delighted in their steps of obedience, both individually and as a church family. We love you, Jesus. Tutor us, mentor us, call us higher in our life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.